about Deuteronomy chapter number 34. Dedication is the theme of the meeting and much needed in the day and time in which we live. There's a lack of character in and of itself nowadays, let alone spiritual character. And if the Bible's right, he says that in the last days, many will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And many shall depart from the faith. Us as Bible believers never think that could be us. We, we tend to think that that's got to be somebody else. Yet we're Bible believers and you can't just run past that and say, well, that'll never be me. There were people that were here last year that intended on being here this year. And they're no longer anywhere. They left church. They left the Lord. Thank God He didn't leave them. They didn't lose their salvation, but something happened along the way that got them sidetracked. I'm a big advocate of planning for what needs to occur before it happens. If you prepare for those things when they happen, you're less likely for those things to take you out of the game. But more times than not, we get the attitude that it'll never happen to me. And many a preacher who has stood in the pulpit for years has finally said, I'm done. And they don't just leave church, they leave everything and head for the far country. I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about an individual I think that we can look at and learn some things from. It's an old message, but I think you learn things from old men. What I like about this man is he started off really well. And then in the first third of his ministry, he messed it up really bad. And the second third of his ministry, he didn't do anything except live for the world. But in the last third of his ministry, he finished the right way. I want to try to encourage you that I don't know what it is you might go through in the near future the way things are going. But I want to try to impress upon you that the time to prepare for whatever is going to occur is now, not later. Don't wait until it occurs to start making plans. The Bible says this about our student or the one we're studying tonight. And Moses went up from the plains of Moab unto the mountain of Nebo to the top of Pisgah, that is over against Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead unto Dan. And all of Nephtali, and the land of Ephraim, Manasseh, and the land of Judah unto the utmost sea. In the south of the plain of the valley of Jericho and the city of the palm trees unto Zoar. And the Lord said unto him, This is the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, and unto Hamas, and Isis, and Isil, and, oh, sorry, that's not, the, to the Palestinian state. This is the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, saying, I will give it unto thy seed, I 
have caused thee to see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not go over thither. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. Brother Larry, you pray. Would you please ask the Lord to help us tonight? Thank you. You can be seated. Many of you know already where I'm headed. The message almost jumps off the pages of the passage. Those of you that are students can certainly see that this particular passage is easy to exposit. Doesn't take much to pull out of the passage the things that the Lord would have us to learn by His faithful servant, the one who, might I remind you, showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Over there in Matthew chapter number 17, Moses representing the law and Elijah the prophets shows up there. And the Lord took this man and did something with him in spite of the fact that he had been given great promises and God would have supernaturally empowered him to complete those promises, but he took matters into his own hands. Can I say this to you before we get too far into the message that oftentimes frustration, aggravation, irritation, Frustrated ambition, those kind of things can lead you to try to grab things and make it go faster than God intends for it to go. And in the Christian life, what's more interesting and actually more important is it's about accuracy, it's not about speed. You can't set how fast God wants things to go. No matter how many programs, how many plays, how many plans, uh, how many perspectives you put out, how many things you ordain, how many deals that you decide that you're going to do this and do that, if God's timing is not a part of that, it will not make any difference whatsoever. You cannot force God's things to grow. God either chooses to bless those things or He doesn't. But can I say this to you? You should at least get an A for trying. The Bible teaches us in Philippians chapter number 2 that if your motive is right, but your method is a soup sandwich, God will fix your method because your motive is in the right place. Nobody that has started any ministry whatsoever or ever done anything whatsoever can say they have always done it exactly as God would have us to do it. As a matter of fact, more times than not, we learn more, ladies and gentlemen, from our failure than we ever learn from our successes. Failures are harder to recover from, though. Success, as Brother Lynch used to say, is how many times you bounce off the bottom, not how many times you succeed. Some of the lessons that you learn in failure are not lessons that you have to repeat. Some of the things you learn in success are often mistakes that are easily masked because you wind up thinking that the success must be that you're doing what God wants you to do, when in fact, you may be completely and totally out of the will of God. Could I remind you of this quickly, that when Moses was in the land of Midian, he was extremely successful. Can I tell you that if Moses were to look at it the way most Bible believers look at things today, you know what you would think? Moses must be in the will of God because after all, he is second in command to his father-in-law. He's going to inherit a large amount of sheep. He is already married. He has a couple of kids. And as far as he's concerned, the people in the nation of Egypt over there, the land of the Israelites, he's done with them. He's finished. He never has any intention of ever going back at all. He's happy right where he is. God must be done with me. I messed up, killed a man, buried him in the sand. There's no way I can go back. And now at 80 years of age, Moses is walking along one day and all of a sudden Moses sees a bush burning, which as I've studied is not that unusual. 
But what was unusual was the fact that the bush was burning, but it wasn't consumed, and Moses decided to stop and turn aside and take a look at that bush. And guess what happened? The Lord spoke to him out of that bush. And it changed his life. Can I say this to you that oftentimes because we've been out for a long time, we have the tendency, we have the propensity, we have this idea that God must be done with me. He seems to be blessing this and this and this. I've even heard preachers, I maybe arrogantly say, God's done with you and God's put you on the shelf. By whose order? Is, who is it that said that God's done with you? A preacher told you that. Some Sunday school teacher told you that. Somebody told you arrogantly, well, God's through with you. Well, he sure wasn't done with the Apostle Paul after he knocked his eyes out there on the road to Damascus. I don't think if I read my Bible right that he was done with Peter, even though Peter denied him, even though Peter wound up uh, uh, saying, hey, Lord, I'm done with you. I'm, I'm finished. I'm out of here telling nasty jokes, offending the little girls that are there, goes out, warms himself by a fire, and then says, I'm going fishing. I'm disqualified. You know what the Lord said? Hey, Peter, do you love me? Not Peter. What are the brethren going to say? Listen, one of the things that's important for you to know is, is as things neck down and things narrow down, we're going to need everybody's help. And we're going to have to learn whether you like everybody or not. You have to learn to love them. And they're still part of the body of Christ. And we're going to need everybody we can muster in order to be able to do what God would have us to do in these final days. And I believe we're in the final days. Preacher, when do you think the rapture is? Preacher, when do you think the rapture is? I've always hoped when I said that, the Lord would go, okay, all right, you know. <laughs> I wish that it was tonight. As wonderful as this is, I'd trade it, go to heaven right now with no problem whatsoever. But can I say this to you? It will recognize for a moment the day and time in which we live with what is going on in his nation over there in Israel. You have a good thing to think about that maybe this curtain's beginning to close. And the people that you despise, most of them are Bible believers and you're going to be in heaven with them forever. I call that sermon hemorrhoids in heaven. The only difference is, is you get healed of all the hemorrhoids before you go up. Won't that be a blessing? You'll have a mind like Christ, not like a mind, never mind, but you understand what I'm saying. But here's the thing I want you to recognize, ladies and gentlemen. Moses looked as if because he was successful in carnal worldly things, it looked like that God was done with him. The best 40 years of his life still remained ahead of him. The best time of his life occurs after he gets buried and resurrected. I want you to notice something about him in his last days. He's 120 years of age now. And at one point in time, Moses had said a whole lot of bad things about the people in the congregation that God has told him to lead. Now all of a sudden, he's getting ready to go and the Lord has said to him, listen, I'm showing you the land that I gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but you're not going. He didn't tell him he was going to be resurrected and used out later on in life and in eternity. He just said, you're not going to the other side. Can I say first and foremost, the first number thing you notice is he goes from the plains of Moab and he has to go up the mountain. You say, why do you tell me that, preacher? Because when you get older, it gets harder to go up. When you get older, it's not just physically, but what happens to you spiritually is you kind of plateau. 
you kind of sit on the lead a little bit for you sports enthusiasts. You know, you're doing pretty well. you got a couple of run lead and that kind of a deal. you get up by a couple of touchdowns. And so what you try to do is you try to protect the lead instead of going on. You lose your goal of trying to do what you need to do when you were playing the game. And But now all of a sudden you're just trying to protect the lead. You know what happens? You get real, real, real careless. You have to always watch it when you come to the end of your tour of duty. You say, why? You're getting ready to get off. The sun's starting to crack the horizon and you're a little bit tired and you're a little bit sleepy and then you get that call and you're thinking, man, I just got snake bit and you slip over there and because you're lazy and because you're not paying attention, you can get hurt right at the very end of everything. Sitting on the lead. We're doing good, you know. We love the Lord, believe the book. We're reading the Bible and, and uh, we're going to church pretty regular and those kind of things. But when was the last time you stretched out a little bit? When was the last time you did something that made you a little bit uncomfortable? I mean, I, I like the shouting in here. I realize when the carpet is in, the pews are in, and the peeps are in here that it'll tone down some. I kind of like to hear it resonate a little. I would have liked to have been in the parking lot to listen when y'all were first singing. Y'all were jacked up. I mean, if somebody was recording that, they were probably out there thinking, man, what is going on in there? Well, it wasn't the Moron Tabernacle Choir, I'll tell you that. <laughs> they don't sing like that. I mean, y'all were singing, but the place is so big, you're singing as loud as you can sing. You don't even realize how loud you're singing. You can't even hear yourself. But can I say this to you, ladies and gentlemen? The longer you're in it, the harder it is to continue in an upward motion. We kind of get comfortable in the plains. We kind of like it like we like, especially down here in the south. We get very accustomed to the fact that we're comfortable right where we are. We don't have to exert much. We got exact amount of chapters we read, the amount of time we pray, the amount of church services that we go to, the revival meetings that we go to, the songs we listen to. We drive the same way to work. We drive the way, same way home. We eat at the same restaurant. Everything becomes commonplace or routine. Moses is telling us that in the last days you can't get tired of going up. But can I say this to you, the pull of gravity is harder on you the older you get. Because somebody wants you to stay down there every time you get ready to move up, you make somebody else uncomfortable. Christians that want to stand out, you know what, you kids that are in school now, especially the ones of you that are in high school and college, you have a harder time living for Jesus Christ than when I was growing up. Listen, I grew up when even when I played the little bit of ball that I played, they cut out early on Wednesday to go to Wednesday night church. Everybody went, even the Methodists went to church on Wednesday night. I mean, it's a strange thing. And if you didn't, I mean, but for my dad, if you were going to go play ball, you're going to get off in time to go to church. I don't care if you got banged up and got your head handed to you. Let's get a shower. We're going to church. You can sit there with bandages on you in the church as much as you can at the house. And then you go to church on Sunday. But you know what happens nowadays? We've kind of gotten comfortable. You know, our service for the Lord has gotten to the point that, that, that all of a sudden it's kind of like we let those things pull us in that downward motion and it doesn't really matter to us like it used to. And all of a sudden we forget about our friends that are in foreign countries. They're doing everything they can just to try to get a page from the Bible. I remember when Jim and I were in Romania, one of the trips over there, they took us out at 3 o'clock in the morning in these little minibuses, and they took us over and took us three, four stories up into a building there, a little tiny light hanging down from the ceiling there, and he turned that thing on, and all these guys are sitting around inside that room. There's about 25 or 30 of them sitting in there. Some of them had a page of the Bible. Some of them just had a piece of paper and half a pencil. 
And he'd preach for a little while, and then I'd preach for a little while, and then he'd preach for a little while, and then I'd preach for a little while. And we finally got, and the sun started coming up, and they said, we got to get out of here. We're not supposed to be gathering this many people in a room. Man, their hearts burned. All they wanted was a couple of just white boys to come over there and just teach us the Bible. They said, you should have seen them write. It looked like they were writing with crayon like they were first graders. They could hardly even write in their own language. And what we used to do way, way, way back then was you'd take a Bible, a whole Bible, and tie pages of the Bible in sandwich bags and take a belt and put it on a dog and they'd send the dog across the river and go over to the other side and pass out pages to the people they didn't have enough to have a whole Bible. You weren't allowed to have a Bible. I came back from there ruined. I saw the hunger and the desire. I saw a 75-year-old woman coming every single day to Bible school, sit there, spitting snow outside, freezing cold, a furnace over in the corner in that big old room, and sitting there shivering. And you know what she didn't let happen? She didn't let that old age keep her from going up. She wanted to learn the Bible, and she was fixing to punch out. I know we have a little bit of a school here and I know you have good churches and you have good preachers and good pastors and those kind of things but can I just caution you to tell you that as time grows older and gets closer and closer to the end you know what's going to be harder to do? Just to keep doing what's right to do. Can I say this to you? Sometimes it's hard for you to do like Moses did. I've often wondered about this. Have you ever paused to imagine that you have a greater pull from your family or your finances or your friends? And of all the stories the Lord could tell you about in the book of Luke and give you warnings about, those three things come up on a regular basis. Lord, but first. Lord, but first. Lord, but first. But have you ever also pondered to think about this? Do you ever realize that as you get older, it's harder to recover from the failures you've had? I got to thinking today about failures in the Bible that God wound up using. I don't know whether you think this is an important thing or not, but Moses didn't always live his life right. That's who we're talking about here today, right? And God still used him even after he killed a man and buried him in the sand. You know what most of us Bible believers would have done? You ain't qualified for the ministry. <laughs> I mean, you walk and talk like an Egyptian, so why would we want to have you to come in here to, to go over there? And he goes over and he leads the children of Israel out and he gets frustrated with them and he smacks a rock. I mean, I don't know if anybody would have been that way, but sometimes your failures, you know what can happen? Lord, I'm just no good. I just messed up. I just did something I shouldn't have done. How about the blood of Jesus Christ? Isn't the Bible said he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin? I mean, isn't he committed? I mean, hasn't he decided to dedicate himself to doing all that he can do to keep us as clean as we possibly can? Hey, would it be a bad thing for us to have a meeting sometime and just say, anybody that needs a bloodbath, why don't you come to the altar, no holes barred, tell the Lord what your failure is, ask him to wash you, ask him to pull you up out of that pit, set your feet on solid ground, and set you about doing something with the final years that you have left. Stop letting other people tell you that you're not qualified. They don't get to pick the team. I'm wore out with that. But I want you to recognize that the Apostle Paul, you know, he kind of batted for the wrong team for a while, and I don't mean that team. I want to make sure that's clear. Paul was, non, he was very gender specific in his way of doing things. I don't know if y'all do that at y'all's churches or not, but we regularly reiterate that around here because we don't want our kids uh, being confused about things. 
We want them to know that you're plumbing and recognizes your identity. We think you're too stupid to know what you are. We're going to tell you what you are. We're not going to wait until you grow up to think you think you might know who it may be. No, we're going to tell you, you're a boy, you play with trucks, you're a girl, you play with dolls. And if you're a boy and you play with dolls, we're going to have a come to Jesus meeting. We're just going to talk you out of that. You say, but I just, you know, I play with Ken. We don't play with Ken. Now you're really whacked out. Help me, Jesus. Come on, I'll talk about you. Amen. No, Barbie and Ken is not so. He can have a boy and she, no, uh-uh, don't work like that. But now, can I say this to you? Along the way, people messed up in the Bible. David made a huge mistake. He committed adultery and murder, and yet David later writes, God liked me. David found forgiveness, and God still used him as the greatest king Israel ever saw. I'm not condoning murder and adultery. And I'm not saying go do it because God may not give you the chance that he gave David. Don't be that stupid. But can I say this to you? If you have done something, why don't you ask the Lord to forgive you and then just say to him, can you just use me in spite of who I am? If you would just get dedicated as Mary did in the Bible, what did Mary do? Do you know? Do you know what Mary did? She cooked tater salad. She must have made pie. No, I don't think she could cook. Martha wouldn't let her in the kitchen. She's always complaining about her being there. But she only wanted her to wash dishes. She didn't want her to cook. What did she do? We don't know. All we know is this. She did what she could. Of all the people in the Bible that he made a memorial to, boys, he made it to a woman. Do you know why? It wasn't because of her ability to preach. It wasn't because she was a Sunday school teacher or how many verses of Scripture she memorized. It had nothing to do with her ability to be able to minister or to start a women's ministry. Or she wasn't even, we don't even see that she's even married. We didn't, she's not even a good wife. Well, what good was she? I don't know. She must have been some good because she did what she could. And the Lord said, let this be a memorial to As a matter of fact, you know what he did? He said, leave her alone. I mean, that's a good reason to pause right there. That woman comes up there with issues and those kind of things, and I know women have issues. I get that. I understand that. You know that too. You're just acting like... You just live a little while. If you've been married more than six months, you know that even the best of them have issues. The altar's open. You can come down here for lying right now. Y'all are like, oh no, she doesn't have issues. You know right now, sure as I'm standing here, that one of the issues that a woman has is she cannot stand dead air. You let me be quiet for more than 15 seconds and you're going to hear chatter. You say, why? That woman sees that as that's my chance to speak. <laughs> His wife won't hit him because he's been in the hospital and she feels sorry for him, so he's... But, but can I say this to you? In the Bible, of all the people that did great things in the Bible, and there's some great ones in there, the Lord made a memorial to a woman. You know what I like about the woman? She was committed to Him. She chose the better part. Wherever the Lord was, she was down there at His feet just listening to what He had to say. I think it's an amazing thing if you pause to think about it. But have you ever looked in the Bible at how many people messed up? I mean, some of them messed up and never recovered. How about Achan? 
I mean, he was dedicated to the wrong cause, wasn't he? Uh, how about Ananias and Sapphira? I mean, I call that the prance and poodles. They come in late, want everybody to know they're in there late, and then they lie to the Holy Spirit, and they roll up Ananias, and then Sapphira comes in, her hat was uh, twisted up, or her hair wasn't done, her makeup wasn't on right, she didn't put her little Egyptian wig things on the side, or whatever you call them, wings or thing, and she got to get her last few uh, selfies out, and that kind of a deal, and then she gets done doing that. She comes in after everybody's quiet, the song service is over, nobody's moving around, nobody's talking, and, and she walks in, you know. <laughs> And Peter says, hey, sister. Oh, I'm sorry, preacher. I didn't, I didn't mean to disturb you. Yeah, you did. You knew exactly what you were doing. By the way, sister, since you got everybody's attention, uh, how about that piece of property? Did you sell it? Oh, yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah, we sold it. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. We sold it. God sold it for us. It was a miraculous thing. We didn't even put a sign out there. God just sold the thing, man. You just wouldn't have believed that. It was just an amazing thing. Could I get a word in there, sister? Just can you give me a moment, just a minute, please. <laughs> Hey, well, where's my husband? Well, we're going to talk about that in just a minute if you hush for just a second there. Well, well yes, sir. Yes, sir, Mr. Peter. What would you like to say, Preacher Peter? Hi. Yes, sir, absolutely. Uh, uh, did you give what you said you were going to give? Oh, I, yeah, absolutely. We gave it all. He said, hey, sister, you might lie to your husband and you might lie to your milkman, but you don't lie to the Holy Ghost. And if you're going to know where your husband is, you're fixing to see him. And she dropped dead. Dedicated to the wrong cause. Samson kind of got dedicated to the wrong cause, didn't he? Judas. Wrong cause. All I'm trying to say to you is every cause is not the right cause, but in the passage right here, Moses is saying, you know something, if you're going to get up to the very top, uh, that past failure can get a hold of you. You don't want to get up. Can I touch something briefly? You ever look at the life of Elijah? To me, that's the greatest old preacher in the Bible. Everybody has their favorites. I just like that guy. You say, why? I like the human side of him. He spends three and a half years by himself with the Lord taking care of him on the backside of the desert over there and feeding him with ravens and water and so on and so forth and then calls him out. He goes over there and takes the woman of Zarephath's biscuit there and eats the biscuit and so on and so forth and then goes out there and has a showdown at the OK Corral and then he comes down and watch carefully. Things didn't turn out the way he thought they should turn out. And he preached exactly what God told him to preach. And he did exactly what God said to do. You can't find where he dipped his colors one time. And he destroyed at least 450 prophets of Baal, if not all 850 prophets of Baal. And it didn't turn out like he thought it was going to turn out. When he got that letter from Jezebel and he saw what she wanted to do, you know what happened? His, egg, his heart broke like an egg under a giant's heel. And you know what he said? It's enough. I'm out of here. I quit. You quit. You just preached the greatest sermon, but you brought the fire down. Yeah, but it didn't turn out like I thought it was going to turn out. Well, you've been trusting the Lord to take care of you over there by yourself and took the Lord over there and nobody spoke up for you on the mountain and now you're over here, you're running with the Jezebel on your tail. What's the matter? Well, I guess the Lord doesn't appreciate what I did. I've been teaching Sunday school all these years and nobody said thank you. I've been the one cleaning the windows and picking up the trash and nobody said thank you. I've been the one singing in the choir and playing the specials and nobody said thank you. They have a big special meeting. They didn't ask me to teach. They didn't ask me to preach. They asked all the friends in the 
family and the other people around there. I guess you got to know somebody around here to get somewhere. Am I getting anywhere close to home? See, I told you going up the mountain's a hard thing. You know what gets tried when you get ready to go up the mountain? Your dedication. You say, why? Mountain's steep. The grade's easy when you take that first step. But the longer you're walking on an uphill battle, you know what happens? Boy, your legs begin to burn, man. For all of your hamstrings begin to burn, and your quadriceps begin to burn, and your glutes begin to burn, and then before long you're leaning in there and you're doing your best to make one more step, and you make a step and you slide down the hill a little bit, and you make a step, you slide down the hill a little bit, and you turn around and there's nobody there helping you. You feel like people have got a rope on you trying to pull you down. They don't appreciate you anyway. What's it for anyhow? It doesn't make a difference even if I do what God says to do. Why am I even here in the first place? I don't even know why I got saved. I don't even know if hell's real anymore. I don't think Jesus is ever going to come to get me. Jesus doesn't care about me. I don't feel like singing the songs of Zion. I don't feel like praising the Lord. I don't feel like shouting amen. I'm so sick of people. I'm so sick of Bible believers. I'm so sick of the church. I'm so sick of all that kind of stuff. Hey, get thee behind me, Satan. But you're not careful. You know what happened to you? You'll find yourself sliding down the mountain. The mountain God told you to go up. See, he's wanting to take you up there to show you better things, but he didn't tell you the journey along the way. It's an uphill battle. You know what happened to that old preacher? That old preacher, after all the things he had seen and all the things he had done before he calls out Elisha and that kind of stuff, you know what winds up happening to that boy? He gets up there and he says, you know what? I'm going out into the desert and I have lost the will to do what God wants me to do. Could I just say this since we're using dedication? He's no longer dedicated to God's cause. He is fully enamored with himself. He's going to do what he desires, what he's decided to do, and he is dedicated to do it. He's going to go out there to die. So much so, ladies and gentlemen, he sends his servant away. That's serious. Back in my day, that would be what we would call Baker Act. Just because of how he's talking, we know there's going to be self-harm involved. I mean, that's the bold preacher standing up there that called down fire from heaven. Do you understand that? Now, here's what shakes me. I see a preacher like that, with that much power, walking and talking with God, getting messages directly from Him. And I see Him over there curled up like a little baby, like an infant, underneath a juniper tree. Man, it makes me shudder to the bone. In the height of His ministry... He's at the pinnacle. Nobody in here would say, who preached a greater message than that? And he didn't have a single person on his side. Not one. Talking about an antagonistic crowd. And he made fun of them. What boldness he had, right? Every preacher in here wants to be that part of Elijah. How many people want to pay the price Elijah paid after he paid that price? Because with boldness all the time comes some humility. Preacher, can I ask you a question? You ever sat under that tree? Mama, you ever sat under that tree? Lose that little baby? Boys, I'm going to tell you something. When a woman loses a baby, she's losing hopes and dreams and weddings and grandkids and all kind of things. I don't care if it's a boy or a girl. When she loses a baby, it's different than you losing a baby. That woman's attached to that young'un. You ever been under that juniper tree, ma'am? 
You see what happens? There's juniper trees along the way up. You say, what are they? They're places where you pull over and sit down and have a pity party. You know what's time we do as Bible believers is admit we're human? You know what we need to learn to do? We need to learn something from Jesus. I'll get back to the message here in just a second. I've got a couple more minutes. I'm aware of the time, but can you, can you listen to me? We could learn some things from how the Lord treated a fallen servant. Could I tell some of you here, there are people that are here that are literally one meeting away from being done completely. And when I'm talking about it, I'm not talking about quitting the ministry. I'm talking about quitting life. Well, not me. Everybody's not you. Praise the Lord if it's not you. So if it's not you, could I ask you this? Maybe give you this as a challenge. When someone is like that, could I ask you a question? Do you help them or hurt them? Do you pull them or do you push them? Do you poke them and prod them? Do you make fun of them or do you have the ability to say, hey, what can I do to help you? Or are you afraid that they're going to weaken you because you have to pull over and stop? And sometimes, you know what you have to do? you got to sit down under that juniper tree there with them for a little while and you got to build a fire. You say, what does it do? It takes time. You know what fire does? It takes time for you to build a fire, to get it going. You've got to get down on your hands and knees and you've got to blow on those embers and get it to get hot and then add another stick or two and then add another stick or two and they're sitting over there whining and complaining and freezing and cold and you're building a fire and it takes time. And when you finally get that fire going, the first thing they're thinking about is, where's some food? And all you're thinking about is, hey, I've been building the fire, why don't you go get the food? That's not what Jesus thought. That's a theophany. You know all that stuff. Dr. Stevens can explain that to you and give you all the where, why's, and wherefores of that stuff. But can I say this to you, ladies and gentlemen? Can I say to you, we could learn some things from how the Lord treated a fallen servant and we might see a few get back in instead of so many get out. Can I say this, whether you need it or not, I need to be reminded that oftentimes I'm supposed to be in charge of an emergency room. I'm not here to create combat and conflict and try to create controversy and trouble, get all weirded out on all kind of weird doctrines and whacked out stuff. I'm supposed to be trying to help people stay in fellowship with Jesus Christ and help them get up the mountain. They're just trying to get a better view. But oftentimes, you know what happens? We get so full of ourselves that we lose that no man left behind. And it's like, hey, <laughs> I don't care if you're left behind. I ain't stopping for you. I ain't slowing down. I got to go. I got to touch this real quick and I'm going to move on. It's going to hurt. Sometimes, boys, we leave our family behind because we think getting to the top of the mountain is more important than them getting there with us. That's a non-scriptural position. The Lord doesn't go to the top without His bride. When we get ready to go out, He comes down and gets us and takes us with Him. And you know what the Bible says? And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Do you allow me a moment to pause? What was the lesson from the fallen servant? The Lord looked back and said, you know, he's been a pretty good servant. He made a mistake. He messed up. 
He dipped the colors. Okay, he lost it. He wigged out. He needed some meds. He needed some kind of help or something. And look at him down there now. Well, no wonder, man. He just killed all those people and he's down there. Things didn't turn out right. The expectations weren't right. And there's nobody around him. Do you know somebody like that? I do. I'm not the poster child. I'm just simply saying when the Lord puts somebody like that on your doorstep, would they even come to your door and ask for help? Or are they afraid you might kick them in the head? When they call you or they call your church, I'm not talking about looking for a handout. Uh, would, it, would they call you because they know that they can trust you and confide in you? Or do they think it's going to get all over Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, all the other kind of stuff that's out there, and you're going to put all their troubles out there as if you never had any? I'm just saying I think that in our dedication, the thing that we're talking about, it's more than just our dedication to God. I think we've got to get back to being dedicated to His will and His way, but I think also His service toward His brethren, toward the bride. I think we've got to get back to ministering to each other. Do I sound effeminate to you? That sounds girly to me. Oh, I don't think so. You know what happens when somebody's wounded really bad? You've got to pull over and set your other mission aside to take care of that person because if that person was you, you'd want somebody to pull over to help you. Don't get so full of yourself that you think it could never happen to you. Don't get so full of yourself to think divorce won't knock on your door or disease won't knock on your door and things won't come your way and the next thing you know, depression is sitting on your doorstep and some, uh, some uh, 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 elephant of a preacher will get up and will say to you, oh, if you're depressed, you don't trust God. Hey, you're an idiot. <laughs> I trust God, but I still get depressed. I get depressed when I don't see the results I want to see. I get depressed when I see people get out. I get depressed when things don't go how I think they ought to go. Don't tell me I'm crazy in the head and I don't trust God. I trust God, but sometimes I'm right there at Juniper Junction. I'm not even going to get to where I'm headed today with Moses and all the things of like that because you know what I realized? I realized that one of the reasons we need meetings like this is to help each other. God help you if the only thing you're doing is looking at what somebody's wearing here today or what somebody said or how they hollered amen or whatever they did. Or man, they're getting all giddy, acting kind of stupid. Well, I couldn't find a place to park. Well, I couldn't. Oh, shut up, man. We're just glad to be here. You say, why are you glad to be here, preacher? Well, because we realize that but by the grace of God, we'd be out. I'm just saying if the Lord were to have you under there could he call you and say brother so and so, sister so and so could you go down yonder and take them some cookies don't go buy a stinking stack of Oreos cookies at the stop and rob I mean go down there and at least get you some that come in a tube you got to cut them in four ways and, and put a little throw some flour in your face or something Put a little drop of sweat, you know, on you. Like make it look like you did something. Don't buy them cheap ones either. Them, them things you get at the thrift store. That stuff ain't even real cookie dough. I'm not going to tell you where it is, but it comes out of a chicken yard, so you just do with it whatever you want. You can throw it on the ground, it'll bounce. You put it in the oven, it melts. It's because it's plastic. I'm not talking about that. I mean, put a little effort into it. Spend more than a dollar. You know, take that little dollar sticker off there. Got this? At the, I bought, sister, I bought this for you. Where'd you get that? 
Oh, I, I bought that down there at the big store. All that. It says dollar store. Oh, I don't know how that got on there. Must have been. I mean, stop being so cheap. You know what you see in uh, the Lord coming down there? When that boy wakes up from that miserable position he's in, you know what you see laying right by his head? You see a cruise of water. You say why the Lord recognizes when somebody's thirsty. Can't you tell sometimes when people act stupid, they're just thirsty? Don't you know people act out... Don't you know people act out of character when they're thirsty? Don't you know dehydration can mimic all kind of crazy disease? I mean, they'll lock you up, throw away the key, put you in a straitjacket in a rubber room just simply because you don't have enough fluids in you, enough potassium and magnesium and electrolytes and all the other kind of stuff they say that makes you tick and makes your heart flitter flatter and do all these other kind of crazy things. The next thing you know, you're jumping on people and hollering at people and doing all kind of crazy stuff and people are looking at you saying, man, what's wrong with you? You're, oh, you must be demon-possessed. No, I'm just thirsty. It's been a while since I had a good drink from the well. My flap is clogged up and the water's not running like it ought to run. And if you could just help me get the trash out of my pipe and get me fixed up just a little bit where I could get a drink of water, I'll get up and get on my way. But could you help me? Oh, oh, you mean I have to go over there and, and, and get that nasty stuff out of that water? I, oh, I should... I don't know that I want to get dirty. That might, I, I mean, I, I got on a suit. Man, I got up from praying. I felt like Dr. Ruckman. I had chalk all over me, man. I'm kind of like, oh, yeah, man. You know? <laughs> of course, I can't draw a straight line or a circle, but I'm like, oh, yeah, man. I got chalk all over. Oh, yeah, man. Brother Rogers said, man, you got chalk all over you. I said, I'm, I'm Dr. Ruckman, man. I got. <laughs> I used to see him with chalk all over him. He never thought. Everybody's worried about, oh, let me take your coat to the cleaners and let me do this and do that. He's, I don't care about that stuff. I'm, I'm here to preach. Could I ask you a question? Have you ever been a water boy? You ever been a water boy? Man, when somebody's thirsty and you give them a drink water, Man, they are thinking you literally just gave them a bar of gold. All you did was just give them something that everybody has. They just don't. You ever been a water boy? I ain't no water boy. You ain't going to do much for the Lord. You know what Elisha did for 10 years? He poured water on Elijah's hands. You say, what was he? He's just a water boy. But let me see here. I think if I remember right, you guys are Bible believers. I've got to be careful. Um, some of you graduated from school. A bunch of you graduating this year, so i got to be careful. Am I right about this? Did Elisha do twice as many miracles as Elijah? I wonder if it was because he was a water boy. I'm just saying, I don't know that. To be the thing nobody else wants to be. I'm just a water boy. I got picked. I was out there plowing. The last plowman, 12 other yoke of oxen. I was a somebody. Everybody knew me. I owned land. I had oxen. I was going to inherit a great thing. And who are you now? I'm just a water boy. I gave up all of that. For how long? 10 years. Never thought nothing would happen. 
I just asked for a double portion, not of the miracles, but of the Spirit of God that was on that old man. Well, could you tell me something, Elisha? What happened to you? I don't know, but by the time they tallied it up at the end, I was one short of doing twice as many. But then I got up here to heaven. They done throwed a dead boy down in my grave. He touched my boys and got up and ran. So I got a double portion and did twice as many miracles because I wasn't ashamed to be a water boy. Nobody even knew his name. His name ain't even mentioned for 10 years. He had hey boy syndrome. Hezbollah be wanting to cut my head off or something. Can I say this to you? Moses was on his way up. Elijah was at the top of his game when he fell off the pinnacle. You say, what happened to him? He got out in the desert and it was hot and it was dry and it was lonely. I want you to recognize something now. He had spent three and a half years by himself. It didn't affect him then. Why did it affect him there? Because the expectations had been dashed. And his mindset was different when he went in the desert the second time. But real quick, the Lord built a fire. The Lord gave him a cruise of water. The Lord made some biscuits. Gave him some time there and fellowship with him. Over a period of time, he eats so much, he's about to pop. And he hasn't eaten and he hasn't had anything to drink. You know what winds up happening? He gets sleepy. You say, why? Going up the mountain, ladies and gentlemen, can make you tired. You know it's easier to serve God with an empty bank account. Ooh, that was worth writing down. There's my sermon for Sunday. It's easier to serve the Lord when you don't have anything. You don't have anything to lose. You get ready to go up the mountain. You've been leading all these people getting ready to go over to Canaan. Going up that mountain gets hard because there's a lot of things you're leaving behind. And the Lord sits down there and He talks with him. Maybe even gives him the warmth of the fire and gives him some light. But listen to me. I'm almost done. He says you need to rest. And Elijah goes to sleep under the juniper tree because part of his problem was he'd been burning the candle at both ends. And he was tired. Working 70, 80 hours a week because he's industrious. But can I say this to you? When you get to the point where you're working that much for the world, there's not anything left spiritually. You're exhausted. Here comes the guilt monkey. The Lord said, you better not go to sleep. We got work to do. Things to go, things to do, places to go, people to see. No, and then what he said, he said, go ahead, I'll watch over you. Take you a nap. 
You never thought you'd hear a Baptist preacher say that. Hey, don't you know if you drive the sheep, you'll kill them? You say, what do you know about that? Well, let's just say, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Coffee mug. Baseball hat. Placemats. Pen and pencil set. Keychain. Embroidered handkerchief. You know what you have to learn, ladies and gentlemen? You have to learn sometimes you need to pull over and just get some rest. You know what this is supposed to be? The place for you to get some nourishment. Place for you to get some light. Place for you to get some fellowship. And a place where you can get some rest. You say, what are you doing? I'm just chilling out. Well, you know what happens? Moses starts up that mountaintop, and the Bible says that when he gets up there, the Lord started showing him things. You say, why? The view's always better from the top. It's just not easy to get there. i got to stop, but I'm glad you allowed me the privilege of opening up tonight. But let me just tell you this. Maybe you can learn by some of the people that failed in the Bible. Can I use this illustration to try to close with? I think Peter was a great saint. I really do. I mean, he's bold and boisterous. Would you agree with that? He shoots his mouth off. We Bible believers have never done that. He was arrogant and obnoxious. We Bible believers have never been that. Oh, maybe I'm not done yet. Me, arrogant? Yeah. Why? Them blood-sucking angels on Jupiter. Everybody needs to know about that. Everybody needs to know about the gap. I mean, that is a pivotal point in the Bible. People are going to go to hell on that one. Preacher, you know about that stuff over yonder in Genesis chapter 6 when them Nephtiliums come down here? They cohabitated with some women's and had a bunch of children's that was giants. Oh, okay. Hallelujah. That will help me tomorrow at work. I'm going in to tell my boss, hey boss, did you know about them, them Nephtiliums in Genesis chapter 6? And then he's going to say, get out of here, you're fired. <laughs> Being interpreted as the Bible believer, I'm taking one for Jesus. <laughs> oh, you agree, right? You're like, oh yeah, I know about that. <laughs> right? Maybe if we could just be human for a while with all we know. Listen, we had the greatest teacher that's ever walked in this time. And he taught us stuff that is beyond your wildest imagination. But can I say this? It ain't for everybody. And a lot of the reason that we tell people about it is, it's not because we're trying to help them, we're just trying to show them, we know something you don't know. And then we wonder why they don't want to come to church. Listen. Would you want to come to church where they're teaching about Nephtilium sucking blood out of a woman and vampires and all of a sudden giant babies being born? 
and six toes and six fingers and Goliath's offspring and all that stuff and Daniel 2, iron mixed with clay, they're coming back again. That doesn't sound like church to them. You make fun of them for taking the wafer and the wine, but then they look at you and it's kind of like, well... I mean, you say, you know, we talk about Mary and her immaculate conception, but you're talking about some kind of angel deal going on. I mean, I like that stuff. It makes God real. It ain't for everybody. I have yet to find one that I knew under the juniper tree. And I said, hey, brother, get your Bible and look in Genesis 6. Listen, don't laugh. I'm being serious. Let me show you the gap between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. I'm talking about people in the hospital. I'm talking about people going through pain. I'm talking about people that have lost children. I'm talking about people that have lost jobs and have lost money and they're broken, they're losing their houses and they're in foreclosure. I've yet to be able to use one of those passages that I'm so proud to show everybody I know to be able to minister to them. I mean, it's like feeding them foam rubber. They don't get any help. And I leave and I'm like, hey man, I gave them the Bible. They just rejected it. They didn't reject the Bible. They rejected you. God said, man, go in there and help them. Can I say this to you? Could we, this week, here comes the challenge. Could we dedicate ourselves to Him and to each other and can we just help each other this week? Give everybody a leg up. You want to flip out somebody? Buy their lunch for them. Give them $100 and put it in their gas tank. Preacher, that's, that sounds crazy. Now, you wouldn't mind if you were receiving it. That'd be the will of God. If you want to get to the mountaintop, for some of you, you're going to have to get out from underneath the juniper tree. But don't be in a hurry to get out. Get out when he says, you've had enough to eat now. You've had enough to drink. You've got some new light, and I've given you new direction. Now it's time for you to get up and go on. But in the meantime, you know what you need this week? Rest. Sleep, eat, fellowship. Just enjoy Jesus for a change. Amen. What is he going to have me do next? Rest, eat, sleep. He'll let you know when he's ready. Preacher, we, we got to get busy. The, the curtain's closing. He knows. Airplane theology. You can't help somebody else until you put the mask on yourself. I'm going to close with this, but listen to me. Some of you need to pull over and park this week. Some of you need to not let the brethren make you feel guilty about saying, you know what, I just, I just need a little time. I'm not time. Get out of church. Quit reading your Bible. Quit praying. Don't be, don't be stupid. I just need some time. I need to slow down. And I need to just get along with the Lord for just a while. Heads are bowed.